Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Good morning, North Sound family. So good to see you all this morning. Glad that you chose to join us today. This has been uh, quite a week for your North Sound Church staff family. Um, I sent the elders of the church an email this morning uh, accounting for the absence of a number of our staff today. So um, here's how it works. Pastor Robin is out because his wife, Danita, tested positive this week. And uh, so he was uh, had a close exposure and doesn't want to expose us to that. Casey was supposed to lead worship today. And uh, Casey uh, came down with the virus this week and has some symptoms and has tested positive. She was going to have a backup with Sherry, and uh, Sherry came down with symptoms and is getting tested today. And I got an email from Pastor Nancy yesterday saying, uh, I'm not feeling well, I have symptoms, and I'm going to get a COVID test in the morning. So how does that sound? So... um, Then this week, our two little guys, our grandsons, Ethan and Thomas, Ethan's five and Thomas is three, and Barb watches them, and on Wednesday, Ethan was a little, had little sniffles and stayed home from school, so the school said he needs to have a positive, excuse me, a negative COVID test before coming back to school. So the whole family was tested, and the two little guys were COVID positive, and Sean and Jennifer were COVID negative. And so um, in order to be able to speak today, and we were sort of running out of replacements everywhere, uh, in order for me to speak today, I needed to have a negative test. And so we went into Jennifer's work uh, as a nurse and got tested and yesterday got the results and Barb and I are COVID negative. So this has been a crazy kind of a week and an absolutely crazy time. As I look over the congregation, I see some of you who have um, already experienced COVID and uh, have moved through it. And uh, we're all hoping, aren't we, that this Omicron is going to be the end. Um, We're running out of Greek letters anyway, so hopefully um, Omicron will be be the end of this. It's so good to see you all, and uh, those of you that are worshiping online, it's so good to have you with us as well. I was telling the folks in the first service that before COVID, we had about 350 folks at North Sound Church divided between the two services, and uh, we've experienced quite a big hit. But if all of you who are watching online were with us, Um, It would be wonderful as well, but we want you to stay safe and to do what is right for you. And we're hoping that within within a month or two or three, we'll be back to some semblance of of normal. Today, we're continuing our series uh, where we are talking about um, Moses. We began last week with his birth. Is that a good place to begin in someone's biography, the, the birth? Well, we talked about that last week. Today, we're moving ahead to another time in his life. I've called it a time of being in exile. Some people call it the land between, and we'll probably use both of those terms today. So if you would like to follow along, although it will be on the screen, um, if you'd like to follow along, um, you can do so in your Bibles, or in, uh, there's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you, I believe, somewhere, and, uh, or also on your phone, uh, phone app, but encourage you to follow along. We're uh, at uh, Exodus chapter 2, and we are uh, in uh, verse, we're going to start at verse 11. 
One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to the people and looked on their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. It's interesting to me, we have this sort of a a large picture, this global picture. And then in one sentence, it says Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, which was some ways away. And, uh, And yet the story or this part of the story ends with, and he sat down by a well. It's an interesting description. So not to disappoint you, there are three points to my talk this morning. Uh, The second one is the longest, so don't worry, they're not all the same length. Um, But the first one is the fact that we're going to talk about a matter of perspective, a matter of perspective in our lives. So in this next episode in the life of Moses, we see it takes place when, according to the text, Moses had grown up. Moses had grown up. I'll say he grew up. He was about 40 years of age when uh, this incident took place in his life. And although he was no doubt raised as an Egyptian, you remember his, his wet nurse, as it were, was his mom, who was a Hebrew. And so from a very early age, he would have known his true identity. But he grew up as an Egyptian. He grew up in Pharaoh's household. And apparently for 40 years... He enjoyed the riches and the privileges of being a son of Pharaoh in Pharaoh's home. Now, we see as we look here that he saw a Hebrew, one of his fellow men, being beaten up by an Egyptian. And he took his life, buried him, and thought he had gotten away with it. But the next day, when he came across two Hebrews fighting... He tried to separate them and stop that. And the response from the aggressor in that fight was, who made you a prince and and a judge over us? Now, this episode happened in the 13th century BC. So that's 33 centuries ago. But I was reminded of how contemporary it is when I thought about my growing up years and remembered um, in life that there were times when um, there would be a group of us and we wouldn't have consensus and one of us would try to lead and the others would say, who made you the boss? Right? You ever heard that? Who made you the boss? So it's uh, something that goes back 33 centuries but is just as contemporary today. So as I was preparing for this morning, I realized something about the importance of perspective. The Hebrew aggressor attacked his Hebrew brother. And when confronted by Moses, his response was a very angry, negative perspective. He said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? But I realized that the perspective could have changed dramatically Because instead of seeing it that way, he could have realized that Moses 
was a Hebrew who was well-placed in Pharaoh's household. And instead of being a negative factor, was a very positive factor where his role could be leveraged for the people of Israel. It, it, all he had to do was to change the perspective he had and understand that that was the case. Now, friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to make sure that we have the right perspective. So often we, we see something and we, we draw conclusions from that, or there's some stereotypical perspective of where we see something and we jump to conclusions. That's how we get our exercise, not in the gym, but jumping to conclusions. And the challenge that we have here is that we want to make sure that we see things straight, that we see things correctly before we condemn someone else. Stephen Covey tells a story about being on a New York subway car, perhaps some of you have heard it, and he was riding in this subway car and it pulled up to a stop and a man got on with two little boys and the man seemed to be kind of in a, in a daze. He just kind of stared and he got in and sat down in the car and the little boys just ran up and down this subway car and smashing into the papers that people were reading and just creating havoc in that subway car. And Covey watched this take place, and at some point he had had enough. <clears throat> and so he kindly said to this man, he said, Sir, um, perhaps you can see that your, your children are disturbing a lot of passengers in this car. And the man sort of came out of this stupor, looked around, saw his children, and said, I'm so sorry, he said. I, I, we, we just came from, from the hospital, and their mother just died. And they don't know what to do. And frankly, I don't know what to do either. And Covey said the whole atmosphere in the subway car changed when they actually understood what was going on and were in a position now to provide comfort instead of being frustrated and angry with this individual. Growing up, there was a wonderful saying that came from indigenous people and it said this, it said, don't criticize another brave until you walk a mile in his moccasins. Don't criticize another brave until you walk a mile in his moccasins. Friends, in these highly charged times, we tend to draw conclusions about others we really don't know. Whether it's politics or ethnicity, we don't want to affirm negative stereotypes. We need to do so much better. The second thing I want to suggest from our passage is that we need to live in this season as resident aliens. Verse 16, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them, <coughs> excuse me, and watered their flock. When they came home to their father rule, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom. 
For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Moses now finds himself in exile. He finds himself in the land between. Forty years in Egypt. Forty years in the home of Pharaoh. And now he's out in the desert. We don't know exactly where the land of Midian was. It may have been as far as the other side of the Gulf of Aqaba. Or had may have been places in the Sinai Desert because uh, they were a nomadic people. But in any case, he had lost his place of privilege and was now finding himself in the land between. And he was going to be there for 40 years. He didn't know it at this point in our story. But he was in exile from the time he went until 40 years later when he saw the burning bush. Friends, what did we do in the land? What did he do in the land between? Well, he married and he had children and his life went on while he was in exile and he didn't know what would come of his life. He didn't know what the future held. But at these times when not so much significance seemed to be happening, we need to realize that God was at work preparing him for the task that he had for the future. Friends, for most of us, the land between is not a happy place to be. It often begins with loss. It may be the loss of a job or the loss of a marriage, the loss of a loved one. It may be a dramatic financial reversal, or it may be a place where we suddenly find ourselves in a breakdown of relationships with others, but in any case, we find ourselves in the land between. We would all choose when we find ourselves there for it to be over quickly. When we're in the land between, when we're in a place of exile, we want it to be done. We want it to be over. But often it goes on much longer than we want. We may wonder where God is in the circumstances, but in the circumstances of Moses and probably Most of the biblical leaders to which we have a description of their relationship with God in most cases... They went through exile. They went through the land between. And as hard as it may be to endure, there's good on the other side. Paul reminds us of this in his letter to the church in Rome. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Friends, I don't believe God is the author of evil. And I believe that he grieves with us when we go through the losses of life. But we have this profound promise that although he may not be the author of the circumstances, he will use them for good, for our good, and for the good of the kingdom of God. I want us to look at a word that Moses uses here in describing his situation. He describes his situation in the land between in this way. He calls himself a sojourner, a sojourner. A sojourner is someone who lives in a place not their own. They live in a place not their own. Now, he may either be referring to Egypt, where he lived as a Hebrew, or he may be referring to to Midian, where he lived as a foreigner as well. Well, our experience of this life can be rich, and we can thrive here on earth. The truth is that every one of us are sojourners. We're living in a place not our own. 
Paul writes in Philippians 3, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So I was born in Madison, Wisconsin, but when I was seven, we moved to Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And when I was seven years old, I met a six-year-old by the name of Barbara Marie Stott. And uh, some uh, 13 years later, we ended up marrying. And we decided to move back to the United States. And because I was an American um, and had registered for the draft and did all the things I need to do, there was no problem for me. But she needed to have the appropriate immigration credentials, so we needed to get her a green card. So we went through the process of getting her a green card and... uh, And uh, then she ended up having the green card. We were able to move. And she was thereafter referred to as a resident alien. And uh, occasionally she would, you know, do this to show that she was a resident alien. Now, the interesting thing was, was that in Barb's case, you couldn't tell whether she was an American or not unless she opened her mouth. And when she opened her mouth and she would say, oh, Uh, people would say, are you Canadian? Or again, instead of again, or progress instead of progress. And somebody reminded me this morning of schedule instead of uh, schedule as well. So there are a few where she may get tripped up and uh, you'll, you'll find out about her roots. But the point is she was a resident alien nonetheless. What does it mean that we are sojourners here on earth, that we are resident aliens? I think it means that we live our lives in the tension between two extremes. One of those extremes is when we care little for the world around us. We are are a cult-like group who simply waits out our time on earth because we want to go to heaven and we want to have nothing to do with the world around us. One of the old songs we used to sing hints at this. It says, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. But there's another extreme on the other side. And and we call it, theologians call it realized eschatology. And, And what that fancy word means is that we better make the best of what we have here because we're not too sure about anything in the future. So you better deal with it now. Well, we're caught in the middle of those two extremes, I believe, because the Bible is actually quite clear how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live in the here and now as resident aliens. First, we recognize that we know where our primary citizenship abides And that it's with the kingdom of God. Friends, you are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God. And as citizens of God's kingdom, then we march to the beat of a different drummer than those around us. Because their primary citizenship may be in a different place. 
Our ethics are wildly different than other Americans as described in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus summarizes the ethics of the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, the Bible says we're not of this world, but we are in the world. And as such, We are in this season of life in which our primary citizenship is with the kingdom of God and our secondary citizenship is as citizens of the United States. And we are called as citizens of the kingdom of God to be agents of that kingdom and its values and its ethics in the world today. Again, Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its taste, how shall the saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand it gives light to all in the house. In the same way as you let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. It's not hard to figure this out. The Greek says the same thing as the English. (laughs) We're called to be salt and we're called to be light as agents of the kingdom of God where our citizenship lies in this world in which we live. I believe it's appropriate as followers of Jesus, as citizens of the kingdom to be engaged in politics. It's one of the ways in which change can occur for the better. But the great challenge we have just now are those who claim to be followers of the kingdom, but their first identity is their political identity. And the second identity is as citizens of the kingdom of God. Whether on the right or the left, mixing these up, mixing up these commitments keeps us from being salt and light and instead causes us to be a part of divisive, And destructive, the political fray that's going on around us today, and we can do better. Author and columnist David Brooks had an essay this week in which he titled it, America is Coming Apart at the Seams. And he went on to say why this is so. He began strangely with the national traffic safety people talking about the rise in traffic accidents in 2020, he said that driving was down by 13% because of the pandemic, but traffic deaths rose by 7%. In the first half of 2021, traffic deaths rose by 13.5%. 
even over 2020. And the reasons given by the National Highway Traffic Safety folks included driving under the influence, speeding, and failure to wear a seatbelt. And he asks, why are Americans driving so irresponsibly? But he lists many other things that are tearing at our social fabric. The Wall Street Journal reported that schools have seen an increase both in minor incidents like students talking in class and more serious issues such as fights and gun possessions. In Dallas, disruptive classroom incidents have tripled this year compared with pre-pandemic levels, school officials said. Drug overdoses shot up during the pandemic. Hate crimes to the highest level in 10 years. In January 2021, 2 million guns were purchased, the third highest month on record. This isn't a statement about gun control. It's just talking about the fear that people have and and going out to think they can protect themselves in that kind of a way. It says something about the state of our nation. The number of Americans engaged in charitable giving is down over 15% since 2000. So Brooks writes this. He says that we have some guesses as to what the causes are, including social media and some of the things that have been modeled, the behavior that's been modeled on the national stage. But he thinks that isn't all. He says, but something darker and deeper seems to be happening as well. A long-term loss of solidarity, a long-term rise in estrangement and hostility. This is what it feels like to live in a society that is dissolving from the bottom up as much as from the top down. Friends, without a doubt, the nation in which we are dwelling as sojourners, as resident aliens, needs the values of the kingdom in which our true citizenship lies, the kingdom of God. Jesus said, You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may uh, be sons of your father who is in heaven. Could it be, friends, could it be that God would have us rebuild the fabric of our nation by modeling what it means to love those who see things differently, even dramatically differently than us? I conclude briefly with something else that we find in the next two verses that have to do with answers to prayer. Verse 23, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew What struck me about this paragraph was that God saw what was going on. He he saw what happened in the 400 years in Egypt from the time Joseph went down until now we have the the, the persecution, the the burdens, the, the, um, the lack of privilege, essentially the slavery that the Hebrews are living under. He saw it and he remembered his covenant with them. The covenant that was made with Abraham that his children would be as the sands of the sea. And he had a close relationship with them. And our text says he began to answer their prayers. He began to answer their prayers. But the answer would take a long time. 
this story takes chapters in the book of Exodus. Moses had to be called and he resisted the call and it takes a long time, a lot of words. And then moving on from there, the plagues came to Egypt and it took a long time. The real answer to the prayer took a very long time. Friends, have you found in your own life sometimes the answer to prayer is a long time coming? I'm reminded of the answer to Daniel's prayer in chapter 7 of Daniel. And he said to me, Oh, Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So we have mystery in our lives. We have mystery as to why things work out the way we do. We don't understand things. We we don't understand why the answer to prayer isn't the answer that we were expecting or that it doesn't seem timely, or that we're finding ourselves in the land between for a very long time. In this case, with Daniel, we see that God was answering the prayer. He had sent an angel to Daniel with the answer. But in the heavenlies, in things that we don't altogether understand, there was resistance to that angel being able to do so, and Michael, the archangel, came alongside to help him accomplish the mission. Friends, we don't know all of the answers in that way, but we need to remember, especially that prayer is not just transactional. I don't know if it's when we were children or what, but many of us see prayer as like a vending machine. You put in a dollar and a Coke comes out. And, and we have a list of petitions, a list of intercessions, and we expect to put in the prayer and have the answer come out. And, and prayer doesn't work that way. Prayer is primarily, it's primarily about a relationship with God and building a relationship with God. And yes, he answers prayers, and we don't always understand the dynamics or the timing of those prayers, but primarily We need to recognize that prayer helps us to walk through the journey of life with God by having a relationship with him. Some of our most challenging experiences of Christians is when our prayers don't seem to be answered. Ultimately, sometimes we just don't know why things are the way they are. But there's an old hymn that suggests what we should do when we have a relationship with God and we may not altogether understand what's going on in the land between in our lives. And that hymn says, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We don't control our answers to prayer, but we can make a difference. Make a difference in our habits of communion with the one who does answer prayer. Because prayer is primarily about developing a relationship with the one we love. C.S. Lewis 
spoke of a morning practice of prayer. He says, the moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists in shoving it all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting the other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And to that we all say, Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, a lamp to our feet, a light to our pathway. We thank you, Lord, that we can learn so much from those who have gone before us. And I pray today, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, that you would help us this day to build a relationship with you through prayer. And that you would help us, Lord, to recognize that our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of God, that we live in this world as resident aliens, that we are in the world, but not of the world, but having done so, we are to be agents of all that is good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.